today's Bible reading is taken from Jonah chapter 3 and chapter 4. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you, be, for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the greatest great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? It's uh, great to be with you uh, again here this morning. Uh, it's been a while since uh, we last looked at Jonah. I don't know if you recall, I started in October last year. Now the conclusion. Let's pray. Father God, we, your children, humbly ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will give us understanding of your word. Grant us teachable and obedient hearts so that we may live lives that reflect that we are your holy people. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Well, as I said, it was October, last October, we considered Jonah's disobedience and the Lord's severe mercy to him. Today, we're going to conclude our quick look at the book of Jonah by noting the Lord's compassionate mercy. We'll also look at how Jonah reacted to God's compassionate mercy to the people of Nineveh. First, a recap of chapters 1 and 2. Jonah had run away from the Lord's command to deliver the Lord's message to the people of Nineveh. The Lord thwarted his escape by a violent storm at sea. And the sailors threw Jonah overboard to save their ship. Jonah would have drowned, but the Lord provided a huge fish that swallowed Jonah and he was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. The Lord then commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. It's clear from Jonah's beautiful psalm of thanksgiving in chapter 2 that he was very grateful to God for bringing up his life from a watery grave. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord then gave Jonah a second chance to go to Nineveh and deliver the Lord's message. It was very gracious of God to give Jonah this second chance. Other disobedient prophets were judged severely by God because as prophets, they had a special calling. So, for example, in 1 Kings 13, 20 to 25, the prophet stopped on the way home from his mission and had a meal when God had told him not to do so. And he died for that disobedience. Jonah did not deserve a second chance, but God gave it to him in his compassionate mercy. God also showed compassionate mercy to the Apostle Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And God has shown his compassionate mercy to us by giving us many chances to obey him. That's why sometimes, and I stress sometimes, we go through difficulties in life because we're disobeying God's word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It's good to reflect on the times God has given you a second chance to change a sinful attitude or behaviour, and you did change. Doesn't that fill your heart with thankfulness and love towards God for his compassionate mercy to you? So whenever we're going through a difficult time, it's worthwhile asking the question, could God be telling me I need to change a sinful attitude or behaviour? Now, I'm certainly not suggesting 
that when we go through hard times, it's only because we've done something wrong. Certainly not. I'm not suggesting that at all. You see, Job knew what it was to be an innocent sufferer. And so did Jesus himself, of course. But it's still a good question to ask ourselves. The second time around, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, we're told that Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through. Jonah started telling the Ninevites his message from the Lord. Now, the message didn't start with the usual, thus says the Lord. Instead, the message was simply 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. This message is very brief and to the point. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Nineveh's wickedness was given as a reason for the message of judgment. But that's not repeated here. Also, there's no explanation about what would happen if the people repented. Now, have you ever wondered what the significance of the 40 days was? You might recall two earlier events in the Old Testament which took place over 40 days, and both events were in the context of judgment. The Genesis flood lasted for 40 days, and Moses interceded for 40 days for Israel after the people sinned with the golden calf. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. In Deuteronomy 9, 18 to 25. In both these events, a great population of people were at risk. The flood narrative in Genesis 6 to 9 would have reminded readers that God's judgment affected the whole world. And when Moses interceded for Israel after their idolatry with the golden calf, the Lord was angry enough to destroy the people but he listened to Moses, 40 days of prayer. The other thing to note in Jonah's message is that the Hebrew word for overthrow is the same word used in Genesis 19 about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Was that the fate awaiting Nineveh? Jonah didn't go any further than a day's journey to spread his message. Jonah didn't reach the city centre because he didn't need to. In chapter 3, verse 5, we're told the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The Ninevites responded immediately and positively to Jonah's message. They believed God. They humbled themselves by fasting and putting on sackcloth. Jonah's message from God impacted the whole city. Wouldn't it be great if that happened in Sydney? Then Jonah's message reached the king of Nineveh. He also humbled himself. He replaced his robes with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Chapter 3, verse 6. The king issued a decree in Nineveh, verses 7 to 9 of chapter 3. 
ordering the people and their animals to fast, humble themselves, pray urgently to God, and give up their evil ways and their violence. The reason the king gave for doing all this? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Those words are similar to those of the captain of the ship in chapter 1, verse 6. The king of Nineveh, like the captain of Jonah's ship, threw himself and his people on the sovereign, compassionate mercy of God in the hope that they would be spared. For the king to command the people to give up their evil ways and violence shows that Nineveh was a wicked society. Evil ways and violence usually go hand in hand. The king understood there, there must not only be a turning to God, but a turning away from evil practices for there to be any hope of turning away God's fierce anger. And the Ninevites did immediately and thoroughly. And because of that, God relented and spared the city. Chapter 3, verse 10. However, repentance and the Ninevites' faith do not necessarily add up to conversion. The Ninevites did not become followers of the Lord. They repented at a particular point in time and God in his compassionate mercy spared their lives. Now, most ministers would rejoice at such a positive response to God's word. But not Jonah. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Chapter 4, verse 1. In reality TV shows, towards the end of the series, there's often the big reveal. And we have the big reveal in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. We actually find out why Jonah ran away. Think about it. We were never told in chapter 1 nor in chapter 2 why he did that. Finally, we find out. And why he was angry with God for sparing the Ninevites. Here in chapter 4, verse 2, we read for the second time that Jonah prayed to the Lord. The first time was in chapter 2. But this time, it's not a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving. It's a prayer of complaint. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fear fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verses 2 to 3 of chapter 4. Jonah knew that God was gracious and compassionate 
And he actually feared that God would extend his compassionate mercy to the Ninevites by relenting from overthrowing the city. You see, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty and violence. They were enemies of Israel as well. And this was just too much for Jonah. So he tried to thwart God's compassionate mercy to the Ninevites by running off to Tarshish. As one commentator noted, God's mercy toward Assyria appeared to Jonah to create a conflict of interest with his covenant obligations to Israel. The question that Jonah could not get around was how God could remain faithful to Israel while pardoning Assyria and thus assure Israel of destruction. Many believers have since wrestled with Jonah's issue. At times, God's mercy appears to allow injustice, perhaps even encourage injustice. It is at a time, it is at those moments that believers struggle most with the implications of God's mercy. As Jonah found out, we can't impose any limitations or conditions on God about whom he should say. He has mercy on whom he chooses. Even our enemies. And that is both confronting and challenging. I don't know if any of you have heard of a famous 20th century Christian named Corrie ten Boom. She was of Dutch background. And in 1944, during the Second World War, she and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp in northern Germany. Why? For helping Jews in the Netherlands to escape from the Nazi Holocaust. Corrie's sister Betsy died in Ravensbrück. And in her book, Tramp for the Lord, Corrie tells the story of an encounter in 1947 after the war while she was teaching in Germany. She had just finished her message that God forgives. A man approached her. She immediately had a flashback of horrible memories. He was one of the guards at Ravensbrück. He had done cruel things to her and her sister. He had become a Christian. And now, putting out his hand, he asked her forgiveness for the cruel things he had done. But Corrie couldn't lift her hand. Coldness was clutching at her heart. She knew she had to forgive him. She prayed for help. And then she said this. And so, woodenly, mechanically, 
I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, I cried, with all my heart. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Maybe there is someone who in your heart you treat as an enemy because of something they did or said to you. Perhaps you feel that God should judge them. They deserve it. That's the attitude that Jonah had towards Ninevites. And Jonah felt this so strongly, strongly that he wanted to die. Now, Lord, please take my away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Chapter 4, verse 3. The Lord simply asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? This probing question was left hanging in the air. There was no response. But the implication is clear. Jonah's anger was both inappropriate and excessive. Then Jonah moved out of the city and sat down and made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Again, he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about it? Jonah replied, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Now, wishing he was dead was an extreme reaction to the plant dying. But, you know, anger can do that. Who hasn't said something or foolish, something foolish or hurtful when anger gets the better of us? It was no different to Jonah. Now, how did the Lord respond to this pouting prophet? The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? You see, God exposed Jonah's hypocrisy. Jonah was very happy. In fact, the Hebrew is he rejoiced with great joy for the plant. It was God's free gift. 
Jonah didn't plant the seed and look after the plant as it grew, yet he enjoyed the shade it provided to save him from his discomfort. But then the Lord took it away. If Jonah was concerned, and the word there means to pity or to have compassion about the plant, which was God's gracious gift, why couldn't the Lord pity the welfare of more than 120,000 Ninevites who didn't know how to make moral judgments, didn't know their right from their left, as well as the many animals. The comparison between Jonah's pity for the loss of a plant and God's pity for the potential loss of many people and animals just seems to be ridiculous, doesn't it? As the book closes, one commentator says that the story is deliberately left open-ended for those who study its message to complete in their own lives. So, how will you complete the story of Jonah in your own life? To help you answer that question, let me ask you, did God give the Ninevites their just deserts? No, he didn't. He showed compassionate mercy. Did Christ give you and me our just deserts? No, he didn't. You see, the wonder of the gospel is this. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10. Jesus died for us even while we were sinners, even while we were his enemies. That's how much he loves us. With those thoughts, now complete the story of Jonah in your own life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your patient forbearance towards us. You give us a second chance or even more chances to change our sinful ways. We know that you're not obliged to do that. We thank you for your compassionate mercy and that while we were still your enemies, we were reconciled to you through the death of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us for presuming to question your sovereign freedom to have mercy on whom you will have mercy. Remove any prejudices we may have in our hearts that object to your extending your mercy to anyone we arrogantly think are undeserving. We acknowledge it is only your grace that has made us to differ. And so help us by your Holy Spirit to love our enemies, to pray for them and to be merciful to them, even as you have been merciful to us. In Jesus' 
compassionate name we pray. Amen. It is time for our Q&A, and I would like to invite Andrew back up. All right, let's get on to the online questions. You ready? <laughs> All right, so far we've got one question up there. Um, do you think the story of Jonah is a reflection of Israel's reluctance to accept God's compassion and mercy for Gentiles and to see Gentiles come to know God, depicted as the city of Nineveh? Well, certainly Jonah's attitude was like that, wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think I think the thing that was the difficulty was reconciling God's compassion for the Ninevites with his covenant obligations towards Israel. Mm. And um anticipating that these enemies would one day hmm. wreak God's judgment on the Israelites. Yep. I think that was the tension that, that's there. Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but I think that definitely comes through. Yeah. And yet, you know, Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles as a nation. Um, so, you know, Israel wasn't really fulfilling its um, covenant obligation in that respect. Yep, that's definitely correct. Um, okay, uh, looks like you're off the hook with one question this week. <laughs> I got it slightly. Yeah. 